But in this series we're doing, this John series, we're not hitting on every chapter uh, in, the, in the book of John. Uh, um, we've received the emails. We know how to count. Uh, we know that two comes after one. We really do. But uh, um, it's, it's more timing and what we really wanted to lean into. So, uh, so today I'm going to be skipping uh, four last weekend. Heather talked about the woman at the well. Uh, make sure if you didn't hear that, it's online. Uh, or you can grab a free CD as you leave today in the info counter. But I'm going to be jumping to chapter 6 of John. And, and uh, John chapter 6 is a climactic chapter. And what I mean is, uh, up to this point in John, we've looked at uh, different stories where Jesus has been meeting people in their place of need. And so chapter 2, we didn't look at this. I know it's familiar, uh, familiar to many of you, but chapter 2, the need was wine. They needed wine. And Jesus met the need. In chapter 3, Nicodemus needed counsel. And Jesus uh, met that need. He gave him counsel. Chapter 4, last weekend, the woman at the well, there were lots of different needs going on, water, etc. But Jesus met her needs in a big way, gave her you know, life-giving water. Uh, in 4 and 5, there's a couple of people that needed healing. And Jesus wonderfully uh, healed them. And then in chapter 6, we come to this story that's in all four of the Gospels, the feeding, uh, the feeding of the 5,000. And, and the need, of course, was people uh, needed food. And Jesus miraculously uh, met that need. And each time that Jesus meets the need, uh, what we see happening as we're progressing in John and coming to chapter 6 is the crowd following him just keeps growing and growing and growing. He's getting pretty popular. And uh, in fact, the, you know, the feeding of the 5,000, I'm sure you've heard this before, but it's, you know, it's 5,000 men. And a lot of people believe there could have been as many as 20,000 people gathered around Jesus that day. If you count the men, the women, the children, the pets, uh, there, you know, there, there's as many as, as 20,000 people. And what we're going to see in chapter 6, and why I call it a climactic chapter is it's going to go from let's say 20,000 people shoom, to 12 following Jesus real fast and and why is that why did the people why in chapter 6 why is it everyone walks away from Jesus well again up to this point Jesus has been uh, meeting their immediate needs right he's been giving them wine he's been healing people he's been feeding people and it's no wonder i mean who wouldn't follow uh, someone like that but where we're going to see the tide start to change in chapter 6 is is where Jesus for their own good and for our own good he starts pressing into this area of our needs this area of our appetites and in our desires and he's and he's challenging the people to look beyond the temporal Right, to get their eyes focused more onto the, onto the eternal and their eternal needs. And it's interesting to me, and, and I find it really encouraging, that when it comes to being human, when it comes to having needs and appetites and desires, to, to enjoying things that, that please us, that we really don't see Jesus come down on those things, because, I mean, he made us. He knows how we're wired. Really, when he comes down on us, or when he presses into that area of needs, it's more, the area that he presses into more, and this is in your notes, is that really, he says, you're too easily pleased. Listen to this quote from uh, C.S. Lewis. It says, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily 
pleased. I mean, in chapter 6, what we're going to see is Jesus, again, meeting needs. Jesus comes offering more than just bread for the day. He comes, he's offering an eternal bread. He's offering them a life-giving bread, eternal life. And, and, and what does it say about Jesus? Just a bit of a side note. And just his heart towards us as human beings, his, his generous heart. That again, in chapter 2, when he turns the water into, into wine, he doesn't just turn the water into like yellowtail or, or barefoot. And I'm not sure what those mean. I got those names from JT. I'm assuming... I'm assuming those are brands, wine brands, cheaper, you know, $5.99 at Kroger. But he doesn't turn it into, he turns it into, what is it? It's the best wine. What does it say about his heart, his generous heart? When he multiplies this little boy's lunch and he, you know, he, he, he gets food for thousands of people, he doesn't just give them a little tiny, a little tiny nibble to tide them over. He provides more than enough to where everybody is stuffed and there's like, you know, 12 basketfuls left over for the, for the trip home. And what does that say about the generosity of God? I mean, when he makes us an offer, I mean, uh, I mean who wouldn't say yes to someone like that? Well, what we're going to see in chapter 6 is that the people, they struggle. They struggle both with what he's offering and more they struggle with uh, how we get what he's offering. They struggle to believe. And remember that John, I mean, it's the title of this series, but John wrote this book so that we may believe. And what we're going to see is the people in chapter 6, they struggle to believe partly because they're so earthbound. They can't see beyond just their immediate you know, appetites or their immediate hungers. It's, uh, it's hard for them to understand because they're so earthbound. It's hard for them to understand what Jesus is saying and what he's offering and how he's offering it. And, and you know, I look at them and I look at us and I go, we're, we're no different I mean, it is, it is hard, it's hard to believe, it's hard to follow God when so often in life, it, he just doesn't make sense. Do you know what I'm talking about? I mean, where, where it doesn't, it's hard to understand what he's doing or, um, you know, just so many times it's hard to, to believe, to keep on following, to keep on believing when, when uh, what we see in front of us is just so hard to understand. And I remember, I was thinking last night about this. I remember, this is years ago now, my, uh, my older sister uh, passed away. And, and I remember, I can vividly remember that evening where, you know, we prayed and prayed and prayed and she's young. And it's like, uh, this makes no sense, God. It was so hard to understand. And, and in the midst of that, the thing that brought me peace that kept me falling that kept me in a place of belief I remember when I I left uh, the hospital I had to get back to the airport and I remember getting to my car in the parkade and I remember sitting there and just taking it all in and suddenly out of my mouth it just came out I said I believe in you more and I'm like I remember sitting there thinking that doesn't make sense that doesn't make sense but I realized what helped me believe was that I was seeing beyond the situation I was seeing into the eternal heaven. It became so real. I was, I was making a choice. It was choosing to see beyond the t- the, what was in front of me. It was choosing that just because I, it was choosing to believe that just because I couldn't understand what was going on didn't mean that God wasn't totally in control. And so today as we look at John chapter 6, I believe that God wants to encourage us All the people in this room at different places, different struggles, God wants to encourage us in this place of believing, especially when he doesn't make sense. So let's pray, and then uh, we'll jump into John 6. Let's pray. So Lord, we thank you for your presence. Uh, 
I thank you for getting us here safe. Uh, I pray today that you would, just like JT said earlier, that you know, we believe, we believe that you're here with us. And I pray that you would surprise us with your presence today. That you'd surprise us with how much you know us and how much you love us. So just come have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, John 6. Comes after John 5. I know that. But uh, um, we're not going to be looking uh, at the feeding of the 5,000 or Jesus walking in the water, if you're familiar with John 6. And the reason is they typically get all the coverage when you look at John 6. So I'm going to be focusing more on the latter part of it. But to set the scene again, Jesus has done this amazing miracle and you know, fed all these people and they're, you know, in the story, they're so excited that they literally, it literally says that they want to make Jesus their king by force. And Jesus seeing this, knowing that they're doing it for all the wrong reasons, he withdraws up into the mountain. He pulls away from them. It's starting to get dark. The disciples are down at the dock. They're waiting for Jesus. They want to cross the Sea of Galilee. They want to go over to the west side and, or east, uh, west side, yep. Yeah. And, uh, uh, Jesus doesn't show up, so they jump in the boat and they start rowing across the lake. And uh, they get, you know, way out into the middle of the lake. A storm comes up and they're rowing into the wind. And all of a sudden they look and here comes Jesus walking on the water. Those must have been special Birkenstocks that he had. But he's walking across the water, freaks them out. They invite him into the boat. They get to the other side. And so then the next morning, all the people still on the east side, they wake up. And they're looking for Jesus, and they can't find Jesus. So they all pile into a bunch of Uber boats, and they head, it's in the text, and they head across the lake to find Jesus. So I'm going to read, and this is a long chunk, but I'm going to read John 6, uh, 25 to 34. So it'll, it'll also be on the uh, Sky Bible. It's a new term I learned this weekend. I didn't know we could afford a Sky Bible. Okay, verse 25 says, When they found him, all the people, they found him on the other side of the lake. They asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do, uh, what must we do to do the work God requires? What do we have to do to get this bread? Jesus answered, the work of God is this. To believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, Well, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Okay, number one in your notes, <clears throat> excuse me, is choosing the eternal over the temporal. Yes, choosing the eternal over the temporal. And earlier I said that when the people saw that Jesus had multiplied the bread, uh, they got super excited and they wanted to make him king, king. And their actual words, the actual words that they used, uh, uh, verse 14 says this. 
Surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. That's what they said about Jesus. And they were referring, uh, calling Jesus the prophet, they were referring back to a prophecy back in Deuteronomy 18, back in the Old Testament, that Moses prophesied that one day the prophet, a prophet would come, and, and he would come to help the people. And the, so the people sort of put two and two together, and they, they thought, well, what did Moses do? I mean, if this new prophet's gonna be like Moses, what did Moses do? Moses fed the people for 40 years. This is awesome. If this is the guy, and look around you, look at all this food he just made. Uh, 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 this, is, this must be the one. And, and so they're, they're excited about uh, the, the possibility, and they're excited about their free food. And I love how when they find Jesus on the other side, I love, we see this a lot in John, and we see it uh, in a lot of the Gospels. When they ask Jesus, you know, hey, Rabbi, when did you get here? It sound, the answer that Jesus gives him, it sounds like he wasn't even listening to, to what they asked him. And really, he's going after the heart. So this is my paraphrase. They say, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus says, hey, let's face it. The only reason you're looking for me is because I fed you yesterday, and now you're hungry again. Food is important. Lots of your appetites are important. They help you live, but they don't give you life. I understand that you're all excited about the food I gave you. It reminds you of Moses and the manna that came from heaven. But understand that manna back then and the food I gave you yesterday, they are signs. Don't get hung up on them. They are signs that are pointing you to the one who has come to feed your souls. The one that's come to give you eternal uh, bread, life-giving bread. And the people were missing who was right in front of them and what was really going on because, because, uh, because they only had eyes for the temporal. They could only see, you know, they, oh, well, let me explain that. They only had eyes for the temporal. And here's what I mean. Part of the human condition, uh, part of one of the consequences of sin poisoning humanity is that as human beings, we have forgotten who we really are. Does that make sense? We've forgotten who we are. We've forgotten what we are made for. We are forgot, we've forgotten, you know, just the, the, the things of eternity and the things of God. And, and, and so what happens, because of that consequence, what happens is we live our lives like this is it. This is it. This is all you get. And so it, you know, it determines, it sort of stirs this thing in each one of us, so you better consume, you better experience all you can, because this is all you get. So in the words of, of, of the, wisdom, you know, the, words of the songwriter, because we're here for a good time, not a long time, sing along. So have a good time, the sun can't shine every day. You know that song? You don't know that song? Okay, let's, it must be Canadian, yeah. It went, uh, it went styrofoam, if I remember correctly. Not gold, if you know what I'm playing. But we live like this is it, don't we? We live like this, we got this one chunk, so you better get all you can out of it, and we've forgotten, we're confused, we've got it backwards. We think we're temporal beings. We think, we live like we're temporary beings that from time to time we get these little eternal experiences. We get to touch this otherworldly stuff. But the truth is that we are eternal beings that are having a temporary earthly experience. Like, we, we don't just... I mean, we, we're a people that, who are going to live forever, right? We're, we're an eternal people. I mean, think of this scripture, Jeremiah 1.5, God said to the prophet Jeremiah, he said, before I formed you in the womb, what does he say? I knew you. 
Now, that doesn't mean that, that we're all sort of, you know, matrix-style floating around in space until we're born. But it means that in the heart of God, in the mind of God, you and I existed long before we were born. And, and we need to realize that as eternal beings, that we need eternal food. We need eternal food. And, and Jesus is challenging them, and he's challenging us to eat the bread that he offers. Because he's saying it's better than that miracle bread manna. It's better than the miracle bread from yesterday because the bread that I have to offer you, it's like any other bread. This is life-giving. This is eternal bread. And the truth is, part of the uh, uh, human condition is all of us are eating lots of different breads. We're trying to find life in eating all these different you know, breads that are available to us. You know, this pursuit of money, the pursuit of a better house, uh, a, a better garden, a better car, better experiences, better titles, a better you. There's, I mean, we live in a culture. Wouldn't you believe or wouldn't you agree that, that the United States, that a big chunk of our economy is built on you and I going after stuff? And trying to get life out of stuff. This weekend, Super Bowl weekend, it's, it's, uh, they're saying that close to $16 billion will be spent on food, on drink, you know, like juice and Kool-Aid or maybe JT, I don't know. But on televisions, that we're going to spend close to $17 billion on all this stuff. And we're, we're, we're stuck in our pursuit i got to stay focused. We're stuck in our pursuit because we've forgotten who we are. And so we run after things. We're trying to find life in things that will not satisfy. We have heavenly hungers that can only be satisfied with heavenly bread. See, the bread of this world, the stuff of this world, can only satisfy temporarily at best. It fades. The stuff of this world fades. Don't you, don't you find that... I mean, think about this. Just think about all the wonderful stuff of life. And I don't mean all, you know, I'm not thinking illegal stuff. I'm thinking all the good stuff of life, music and, you know, relationships and food and travel and hobbies and books and work and all creating things, all this stuff that we do. Wouldn't you agree, at least I have found as I've gotten older, that they start to, a lot of things lose their luster, right? The things that just excited me and really fed something in me uh, then, now they, they just don't seem to, to get to that place. And so I find myself looking for something else that can feed that hunger. And, and you know, what I'm saying in this is, and, and, and is it's not a, so much a question of that we need to, you know, stop living and all move into the church and just do spiritual things. What I mean is, I, I think living life and really living life to the full and, and enjoying life really says a lot, you know, uh, is, is really worship to God, to love life. But what I mean is we need to learn, we need to be mindful of uh, that this isn't it. We need to be mindful of the eternal, that we're eternal beings. We need to learn in this life how to store up treasures in heaven, right? To store up things in heaven that they don't rust, they don't fade, they don't lose their luster, they don't have a shelf life. And we do that by, you know, you store up treasures in heaven by loving people, by serving people, by being generous uh, with other people, and what, so the people are, you know, listening to what Jesus is saying, and they're, they're getting really excited about this new bread, right, because they're thinking manna, and, and this is going to be so nice, uh, uh, and they're like, hey, in verse 34, hey, sir, give us this bread, you know, give us this bread all the time, and then in verse 35, here's where the tide starts to change, 
Jesus says to them, then Jesus declared, well, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Suddenly it gets personal. And this is the first of the, of the seven I am statements that we find in John. And, and really, these statements are pointing to who Jesus is and, and what he's come to do. And basically, he's saying, look, you guys, this bread that I'm talking about, this eternal bread, this life-giving bread, the way you get it is you need to come to me. The way you get it is you need to believe in me. And in saying that, he's, really he's saying it, so that means you need to probably let go of all that other bread so that you can grab on to me. And here's where the, the people start to, to struggle. Here's sort of a turning point in the chapter because they're listening to this and this is starting to get, it's starting to go south for them. Wait a minute, this isn't what we thought he was saying. So number two in your notes is this. Number two is choosing to admit we don't understand. Choosing to admit we don't understand. At first, you know, they love the idea that Jesus being like another manna giving Moses, you know, this sounds like a sweet deal. I mean, you think of it in the Old Testament. The manna would be there in the morning. You'd just get up, you'd walk outside in your PJs, and you'd scoop it on a plate, and you'd go back inside, and, and there's your food. You go about your day, and they're like, this sounds great. This is a good deal. And they're looking at Jesus as the, as the, as the, you know, the tide is changing. They're saying, hey, Jesus, we wanted to make you a king before because because you're going to give us the goods. But we're not sure we want a king that we need to believe in, that, you know, that we have to let go of all the others. We're not sure we want a king that we need to you know, really depend on, a king that we need to submit to. We're not sure, Jesus, uh, that we like this language you're using, this exclusive language, that this bread can only be found in you, because we would rather you just become another supply option for us. And many times in John 6, in fact, I think it's like 10 times, Jesus refers to himself as the bread that has come down from heaven. And the, and the people are struggling to understand this. Because again, they're thinking back to Moses, they're comparing him to Moses, and they're like, they knew that Moses was just a man that God used powerfully. And they, they thought the same of Jesus. And now for Jesus to say, hey, I am the bread of life. I am the bread that has come down from heaven. They're... They start, they're really struggling with that. So in verse 41, it says that this, the Jews there began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can, how can he now say, I came down from heaven? Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws them. So you can feel like a cold front is moving in. The atmosphere is changing. And basically, what's going on is the people are saying, okay, Jesus, what you did yesterday, that was really cool. But to expect us to believe now that you're the son of God, that we need to believe that in order to get this, well, that's a tough one because we know your folks. Well, there's been some talk, Jesus. We know who your mother is. We're not so sure about who... Uh, who your father is. So trying to believe that you're the son of God, that's a, bit of a, that's a bit of a stretch, Jesus. And then to add to the, to the struggle and, the, and to the confusion, Jesus uh, drops this on them. Verse 53. As they're trying to, you know, they're working this through. Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. 
Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. Now, is it any wonder that in the first and second century, the church was accused of cannibalism, right? And when I, you know, so when I'm, I love to try to, you know, jump into the picture of this story, and I'm imagining Jesus talking to, you know, this, all these people, and the disciples are gathered around him, and, and where, where, my, where I look is Jesus saying, hey, you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood. I pan over to the disciples who are cringing behind Jesus, like, oh, why do you say that? I mean, you are a marketing nightmare, Jesus. I mean, you just don't say those kinds of things, and is it any wonder that after he says that in verse 66, Here's where the people come to this point where it just says, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You're crazy. And they turn and they walk away. And, you know, <coughs> uh, John, in writing his book, unlike the other gospels, he doesn't write the story of the Last Supper. Remember when Jesus basically demonstrates for us the first communion. You know, and, uh, uh, this is my body. He takes the bread. This is my body. He takes the cup. This cup is the, you know, the new covenant of my blood. And, and you know, do this in remembrance of me. And uh, some of the commentaries said, John doesn't write that in his story, in his book. But this, what I just said to you about what Jesus said, this is really John is referring to that. He's referring, he's thinking of communion. Because remember, he wrote this like 60-some years uh, after Jesus ascended back into heaven. And and, and I, I, I think that's, that's very true because basically, you know, what he's saying is, you know, to receive what I'm offering, you need to eat my flesh, drink my blood, not literally, but that consuming is a picture of a choice. It's a picture of, of receiving what he's offering and of saying yes to what he's offering. And, and, but when I look at this, what jumped out at me in, in just saying something so bizarre to us was that it was, it was another Nicodemus moment. If you remember two weekends ago, JT talked about that. If you didn't hear it, it's out at the info counter. You can grab a CD. But, but basically in John 3, Nicodemus, this Pharisee, he comes to Jesus and he's seeking life. It's obvious that, you know, that Jesus has hooked his heart and he's coming to him and you know, basically it's like, Jesus, I want what you're offering. And Jesus looks at him and says, oh, well, uh, to get it, you, you, you need to be born again. Remember how he struggles with that? He's like, are you crazy? Look at me. I'm going to you know, climb back into my mother's womb? I mean, that's, that's impossible. I don't understand that. Uh, uh, that's so confusing, Jesus. It makes no sense. Well, I think that's a lot of what Jesus is saying now in this statement. The people are, you know, he's hooked their heart. They want what he's offering. And he's saying, okay, to get it, you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they're like, you're crazy. Eat your flesh, drink your blood. That is so beyond our understanding. And again, they're struggling to believe because they are so earthly bound, right? They're trying to figure out what Jesus is saying through earthly understanding, and it just won't work. And just like Jesus said to Nicodemus, and he's uh, saying it to us again today, to understand what he's saying, there needs to be an awakening in us. There needs to be an awakening of the Holy Spirit so that we can understand what he's saying. And so we, we, we see that, that you know, the, it's a work that only the Spirit can do. Only the Holy Spirit can awaken us to remember who we really are, to remember what we've really been made for. And, and so what I mean is we need to be born again. We need to be reborn again to be awakened to the truth that, wait a minute, uh, I'm God's creation 
Right? God is the one who made me. Yes, I belong to my parents at some level, and, I, and I'm a fruit of them, but, but it really, it's God who made me. God is my father. I'm his son. I'm his daughter. We've forgotten that. And we need to be awakened to the truth that we're his children. We need to be awakened by the Spirit to the truth that what we were made to live on, what we were made to feed on, is Jesus and, and it's a mystery, but we were literally made to draw life from him. That we would, and, and again, this, this whole thing of consuming, it's really it's a picture of Jesus is saying, you need to take all of me. You need to take all of me, consume me. Take me into the deepest place. Take me into your soul, into your eternal souls. We were made, we need to be awakened to those truths. And again, I said this in the intro, that so many times when you're, when you're trying to follow Jesus and you're trying to, live the way, you know, we look at the Bible and we try to live that way. So often it doesn't make sense what he does or what he says, uh, but we come to that place of choosing to believe. Choosing to believe, That's and it's called faith. Choosing to act on what we believe in. And remember when John wrote this book, uh, he wrote it so, why did he write it? He wrote it so that we may believe that uh, Jesus is another option. Is that why he wrote it? <laughs> he wrote it did he write it so that we may believe that Jesus was a good teacher well no did he write it so that we may believe that Jesus was a man with special abilities no he wrote this book so that we would believe that Jesus is the son of God and here's where I'm going with this whole thing of choosing to admit we don't understand if that's true if he really is God that wouldn't it make sense and see if this tongue twister wouldn't it make sense then because he's God and there's this huge gap in the sense of our understanding wouldn't it make sense that because he's God that lots of times what he says and does wouldn't make sense to us does that make sense the quietness in the room tells me maybe it did or it didn't right because of who he is we need to be okay with not understanding everything he says and does his ways are higher than our ways his thoughts are higher than our thoughts Um, listen to this quote This is from an American scientist. Uh, He's an atheist, Victor Stenger. It says, science is not going to change its commitment to the truth. We can only hope religion changes its commitment to nonsense. Now, I quote that guy because I want to say, isn't it arrogant of us as human beings? Isn't it arrogant of us to decide just because we can't or don't understand something, well, then it's not true? Like, isn't that arrogant? arrogant at least I think that's arrogant and you know and what I'm not saying in that is that I have lots of questions and I know you do too I have lots of questions lots of why questions you know the story I shared about my sister why why would you heal her and not her why would you allow that and you know and and why would you do that and not this why would you do that to them and not us or why 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 I have loads of questions but If Jesus is the Son of God, as his created being, at some point, I need to humble myself and I need to bow before him and say, "Uh, but I still believe in you. Just because I understand doesn't mean mean that, that that you're not in control. Just because I understand doesn't mean that you're not at work. I mean, when you think of us trying to grasp the things of God, it would be like, me trying to explain to a dog how a car works. Well, you see, you know, ignition. You know, it's like, 
And I mean, it's a silly story, but I mean, we've, if, if, if you can understand, I mean, we're, we keep trying to drag Jesus down to our level when he's trying to lift us up, up to his. And you know, and I, and I watch in, in this story or, you know, this struggle. And, and consider this, Psalms 8. Listen to this. David wrote this, Psalms 8, verse 3. David wrote this, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. I mean, David's getting a handle on this. He's looking, he's just looking at creation and the beauty of it and, and, and you know, just the, the awesomeness of it. And he's just like, who are we? You just think of all these galaxies and all these things we're discovering and it just goes on and on and on and on. And it's like, who are we that you even notice us? It's good for us to get, to get in touch with that humble place of our limitation. And, you know, and, as, and as Jesus is saying these hard things and, and everyone's walking away, it's interesting to me that Jesus wasn't yelling, wait, wait, don't leave. I mean, I'll, I'll change. I mean, maybe I went too far. Come on back. I'll water it down a bit. I mean, he doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. He, he, he really, he lets them go. And I think he's, you know, he's, he's, he's hitting on something that, remember earlier when the people asked him, what work must we do to get this bread? Like, ooh, we're loving this eternal bread. We're loving this life-giving bread that you're offering, Jesus. What do we have to do to get it? What did he say to them in verse 29? He said, the work of God is this, Jesus answered, to believe in the one he has sent. Right? When it gets hard, it's hard to believe. It takes work to believe. So that's my third point. What does it look like then to do the work of believing in Jesus? Number three is choosing to walk with Jesus. Choosing to walk with Jesus. And you know, it's uh, one of the commentaries I looked at. It's believed that the book of John focuses on the last year of Jesus' life. Uh, of, you know, so he, when he's like 30 approximately, he starts his ministry. That's what all the gospels, all these stories. It's for these three years of his life, these ministry years. And they're saying the book of John just focuses on the last year. And so that means then, you know, the people we're talking about in this story, this is like two plus years into Jesus' ministry. And I find that sobering to think that all, you know, uh, you know, many of his disciples, many of his followers were now walking away. These could be people who have walked with Jesus for like two years. I mean, isn't that sobering that now they're walking away and we've gone from 20,000 to 12 barely because we know one of them's on the fence here. And, and mainly because Jesus didn't do what they wanted him to do. They walked away because he wouldn't be who they wanted him to be. And whew, so off they go. And again, I picture the story. There's Jesus standing there. The disciples are gathered around. And they're just watching just whew, all these people walk away. And it must have got uh, really quiet. And Jesus turns around and he looks at his disciples. And he says in verse 67, uh, You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Aren't you glad in answering Jesus' uh, question, are you guys going to leave too, that Peter didn't say, no, we're not leaving, we totally get this. 
Aren't you glad he didn't say that? We've been tracking with you from, from the, as soon as you started talking with these people. Because if, if he would have said that, I would have gone, well, I'm out because I don't totally understand it. But that's not what Peter says. I love his answer, and really it points to this work of believing. That when Jesus says, do you want to go to Peter? His answer is, leave you? Like, leave you, Jesus? Uh, where else would we go? I mean, Jesus, we know there's lots of options. We know that there's, there's lots of other breads out there that can satisfy a little. But, uh, but there's no one like you, Jesus. Like when you speak, you, when you speak, something goes off inside of us. When we hear your words, when we hear your voice, something awakens in us. And it's like when we're around you, we feel like we're touching another, like a, something otherworldly. And just the, just the words that you say, they stir us in deep places and our hearts pound and our, you know, it burns in our chest. And there's this, this, this swelling up inside of hope and joy. And it just, there's just no one like you, Jesus. I mean, I mean, like we don't understand you. In fact, you scare us sometimes. Like last night, what you did walking on the water, you totally freaked us out. But, but when we look at you, there's, there's just, there's no one like you. You're so different. You're so, you're so wonderful. I mean, we've watched you do all these crazy miracles and you tell demons to go and phew, off they go and you, you, know, you, you speak to the deaf and the dumb and the, and the, and, and the, the blind and they're healed. In a few chapters, you're going to tell this guy Lazarus to come out of the grave and he's going to come alive again and on and on. You tell the waves and the wind, stop it. And they, they settle down. I mean, like, where else can we go? Jesus, we've tasted of you. We've tasted of your love and your presence and your power and your, your compassion. Now after having tasted you, everything else is bland. I mean, yeah, we still try other breads, but nothing satisfies like you. I mean, isn't that the truth? Wouldn't you say, I mean, I... I look back at moments in my life where I got a taste of Jesus. Just a little taste of his presence, of his love, of, of what he feels about me. And wouldn't you agree, it's like, it just changes your life. It changes your understanding of what's, you know, uh, of what we really need and what really feeds us. And I just see the disciples, and this is the key point. The, you know, these last two years of walking with you, Jesus have been beyond our understanding, but in walking with you, and this is, this is what I want to focus on, in walking with you, we have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. So how do we do this work of believing? Well, it's by choosing each day to walk with Jesus. It's by you know, choosing each day to focus on the eternal, not the temporal. It's choosing each day to admit that things are going to come our way that we won't understand. It's choosing each day that he is the son of God. It's choosing each day to invite him into everything we think and we do. I mean, I think sometimes we, we, we struggle with the fact that when you say yes to Jesus, and you say, Jesus, come into my life, be the king of my life, we think now it's like Disney. We step into a car, we sit down, and it just starts moving. 
right? Now he's just going to move us through life. When really, it's, it, he hands us a pair of hiking boots and a shovel, and he says, now it's time to get to work. Right? The work that we do, that we do, he empowers our work. He, you know, we, the Spirit of God fills us and empowers us, but we have to do the work each day of believing. It takes effort. Remember when Jesus said, uh, no one can come to me unless the Father draws me? The Greek word for draws is the word helko, and that word means to drag. Think about that. No one can come to me, Jesus says. No one can come to me unless the Father drags them. Well, that speaks of resistance. Right? We have an enemy that doesn't want us to be awakened, doesn't want us to be reminded, wait a minute, I'm not alone. Wait a minute, I don't have to figure this all out on my own. Wait a minute, I mean, on and on and on. But it takes effort, it takes work, and it takes time. But here's what I promise you. As you and I do that, and I, and I just looking around the room, I know so many of you, I know you would be going, like, yes, what you're going to, well, you'll believe what, like, what he's going to say is true. If you do this, if you choose each day to walk with Jesus, and all those things I said, I promise you that just like the disciples, just like what Peter said, you too will come to a place over time of believing and knowing that he really is the Holy One of God. That he really is the Son of God. I'm not saying he's going to answer all your questions because he certainly didn't answer all their questions. But I'm saying that you will come to a place of faith and belief. It will grow over time. It takes time. But you will come to a place of, 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 of experiencing and consuming the bread that uh, will satisfy and su- uh, sustain you like nothing this world can offer to us. So why don't we stand up? Uh, I'll end there. Ben's going to lead us in a song. We'll end off with a worship song. And if you aren't getting prayer or praying for someone, please uh, just join in and worship. But we're going to, here's the thoughts I had. Uh, There's different groups that I, and I wrote it down on my phone, so don't, I'm not checking the scores because the game's not on yet. (laughs) But there's some people that the worries of this life are wearing you down. It's like you're being dragged down into the temporary, the stuff of just of this life. And God wants to come close today and he wants to lift your eyes and be reminded of the eternal that you'd be encouraged. Uh, I think there's some people that, that, uh, that practically, what does it look like in business? What does it look like in day-to-day life to focus on the eternal instead of the temporal? Again, it's sort of a similar word, but God wants to teach. There's some of you that even in business, God wants to teach you how to be an eternally focused person while you're doing all this stuff of work. Um, I felt like there are some people here today that God wants to give you wisdom to talk to people in your family, neighbors, coworkers that have questions about Jesus, that don't understand. He wants to give you wisdom on how to talk to, uh, to them. And then uh, uh, I felt that there are people here that you have a desire you know, in doing the work of leaning into Jesus, doing the work of, uh, you know, of walking with him each day, uh, but you're asking God or what you need is discipline. You find yourself going back to him and just going, oh, I blew it again. I need discipline. I need him to, to, to strengthen that part of your life that you would, that you would stay focused on him. Um, so those all making sense? Yep, thank you. And, and then finally, 
uh, I, had a, I was praying this morning and I just, I felt like God said, I want to touch people's eyes today. If you have eye issues, and I, whatever they are, whether it's pain, uh, your, you know, sight issues, whatever it is, we would love to pray for you. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to do a little different today. Any of those words I just gave, who would say, yeah, I'd like prayer for that? Put your hand up real high. Okay, so I count 400. No. But here, so what we're going to do is instead of calling you forward, we're going to have people gather around you right where you are. So for those that are going to be praying, you're going to have to move, obviously. But, uh, uh, and again, if you're here and you're like, man, what do they do when they pray for people? What are they, you know, what, what's really going on? If you're curious, just go stand with one of these groups. So prayer, or people that need prayer, please put your hands up real high. Let's quickly gather around all these people. And all you need to do, so just look around who's close to you. All you need to do is ask them, what's your name? And what can I pray for you? And then just invite the Holy Spirit. So keep your hand up until someone comes to pray for you. So you're probably going to have to move. So look around the room. Let's make sure everyone has someone praying for them. And again, if you're curious, um, just go stand with the group. So let's make sure. Keep your hand up till someone comes. Over here, let's make sure everyone's got someone praying for them. Over here. I think way in the back. Okay, keep your hand up uh, till you've got someone there. We need another, we have a, a lady or two that could pray over here, right up front. Karen, look, I just called you by name. She's I'm going to pay for this, I can tell. <laughs> Karen, Karen Armstrong, Karen Armstrong to the office, please. So just pray for them. Ben's going to lead us in a song. Uh, if you're not praying, come, just, just join in in worship. Grace, you've shown me grace. You've lifted my shame. Drawn me with loving kindness, washed whiter than snow. You have redeemed and made me whole. Grace, grace, you've shown me grace. You've lifted my shame. Drawn me with loving kindness. Washed whiter than snow, you have redeemed and made me whole. Jesus, you have won me, you have broken every chain with love and mercy, you have triumphed over death, and you are worthy of glory and praise Love, love You've shown me love By leaving your throne By bleeding and dying on a cross That wonderful cross That took all my guilt shown me love by leaving your throne by bleeding and dying on a cross that wonderful cross that took all my guilt and 
you're coming close and uh, I pray that you would help us in the work of believing that you would encourage us in the work in the, in the effort that it takes Lord there is resistance to us uh, getting our eyes onto the eternal there's resistance because that changes us when we do that there's resistance to us trusting you even when we don't understand because that is incredibly freeing and comforting Lord so I pray that you would encourage this week encourage us this week uh, in our in the work of believing I thank you for each one that's here I thank you for all the prayers that have just been offered I thank you that you you listen you love you're you're a God who acts I just bless, again, all the needs in this room. I pray that you would uh, just show yourself generous to us. I pray a blessing and uh, keep us safe as we drive uh, home today. Uh, Thank you for this time in Jesus' name. Amen.